Welcome back to Keeping It Real with Nirvana Life Coaching. Ah, Nirvana, what a nice place to be. Thank you so much for allowing me to join you in whatever you're doing. Some of you might be at the gym, driving somewhere, dropping kids off at school, driving to uni, sitting on a train with your little ear pods tucked in safely and securely. But whatever you're doing and wherever you're going, thank you for listening. Before I launch into my planned podcast, I'm going to deviate for just a moment. Right now, the whole world is united in anxiety and fear over the coronavirus. Just recently and prior to this virus, Australia was gripped in fear from bushfires, a tough start to 2020. We supported each other by donating whatever we could to help those who lost their homes and all their possessions. I don't know what the actual number was donated, but I do know there was a lot of community spirit in the air. What's happened to that spirit now? Society has succumbed to the herd mentality. If a group of people start doing something, others follow, hence the name herd mentality. This explains why we cannot buy a roll of toilet paper at the moment. My daughter was unable to buy a tin of chickpeas today. Just one tin. What's happened to that community spirit? Where's the love? The real reason I've decided to talk about this today is because in my first podcast I mentioned helping people to be able to reset and keep it real. Well, I'm not doing this on my, on my own at the moment as panic buying and the threat of not having basics in our homes has definitely caused us to reset and rethink what's important in life. We have lived in a very wasteful and disposable society for several decades now. It's going to be interesting to see how things pan out and whether or not it all blows over or we are actually forced to reset priorities and realign what's important. Keeping it real might have been a very apt name for my podcast. I'll tell you a little bit more about myself before we continue. I have had a passion for talking all of my life. Maybe not just talking, but communication. When I was really, really young, I used to get the address of anyone I could and write them letters. Seems a bit weird now I think about it. Now I can use my passion slash talent and reach many people through life coaching and my podcasts. I enjoy really listening to people and being present. I think this is the best gift we can give to anyone. I love it when I'm talking to someone and they give me their full attention. I really don't like it if I'm talking to people with a mobile phone in their hand and they glance at me every now and then during the conversation. I definitely feel they're not really present. So back to today's podcast and the internet. It's awesome that there's no boundaries between us anymore. It's an amazing thing that has opened many doors and crossed over many boundaries. Anyway, I promised an interview with Abby today. She's sitting beside me right now and ready to dive into what life has been like living with type 1 diabetes. Before we do meet Abby, I'd just like to say that all of Abby's opinions are derived from her own experiences. There isn't any medical advice intended here. And please speak to your own doctor if you have any questions about some of the comments that Abby may make. Welcome, Abby, and thank you so much for being here with me today. 
I know we're going to reach a lot of people and hopefully you can share your story with the intention of keeping it real and helping listeners along the way. It's really kind of you to share your time with myself and all our listeners. Hi, Abby. Hi. How are you going? Good. How are you? Well, thank you. Abby, um, can you tell us when you were first diagnosed with type 1 diabetes? I was two years old. Two years old. When was that? What year was that? 1999. Okay, and you were two. Wow. Do you remember the first time you realised you had to have injections daily and that that wasn't normal for everybody else? No, I think it's always been pretty... I've always realised that it's not necessarily what my friends did, but... It's just what yeah, it was for you. It's just, it's, it was always how it was. It was a yeah. little bit different, but I, yeah. How, how do you deal with your diabetes now? How do you administer your insulin? Insulin pump. Oh, an insulin so pump. it connects through a cannula that okay. I put on my stomach or my hips or my bottom or my leg, and there's a tube that connects to my pump. Okay, so there's no more injections daily? No. And when you were on injections, Abby, how many injections were you having every day? I think it was four to five. And were they painful? Did it hurt? I hated them. Yeah. I didn't like them when I was younger. Yeah. So you have an insulin pump now. Can you tell us what happens in a normal day when you have to think about diabetes and planning your day, for example? I get up in the morning. Mm-hmm. and I will do my level. It's the first thing I do. Mm-hmm. But because I wear a CGM, I can sometimes check my pump. What's a CGM, Abby? That's a constant glucose monitoring system. So oh. it connects through a sensor, yeah. which I have on my leg, yeah. and it talks to my pump, and instead of having to do a finger prick, it tells me what my level is. Okay. Yep. So I will wake up in the morning. First thing I do is check my level. Okay. If I'm low, I'll eat. If I'm high, I'll give insulin. If I'm good, well, then I'll keep getting ready for it. Start your day. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, There's bound to be challenges for you, Abby, that someone doesn't have that has type one diabetes. What's a small challenge? Can you think of a small challenge of living with type one diabetes? And the reason I keep saying type one diabetes is because I I don't like it when type one gets confused with type two. Type 2 is usually um, a lifestyle diagnosis where type 1 is not a lifestyle diagnosis. Type 2 you can often, um, uh, you can often improve with uh, diet and exercise, but type 1, once you get it, you're actually stuck with it. So sorry, Abby, what was the, you know, a small challenge of living with type 1? Just having to think about it all the time everything that I do I need to plan around it before I speak to customers at work I always want to make sure that my level is good so Mm -hmm. that I'm not either hypoing or feeling sick when I'm talking to them before I make an important phone call I'll always make sure that my level's okay Mm -hmm. um before I go into a meeting um making sure that I've always got supplies on me yeah what sort of supplies Abby insulin a spare cannula because often I'll rip them out Mm -hmm. um uh, a glucometer, which so which is what I use to check my level in case yeah. my sensor doesn't work. Yeah. Um, batteries for my pump, sugar. Always have lollies. So there's a lot of crap to think of, isn't it? It's there? just a lot to yeah. think of. Yeah, particularly like with how I just went to Sydney and having to have everything prepared every time I go out anywhere. Yeah, you don't because ju- I don't have the same support here. Yeah, you don't just jump on the plane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are there other bigger challenges, Abby? That you experience say daily or 
weekly or monthly? Um, I guess when I have a streak of high levels or a streak of low levels, trying to manage food sometimes can be quite difficult because if I'm not hungry on a particular day, I have to eat regardless. Yeah. Or sometimes if my level's really high and I am hungry and I can't eat, but going out and making sure, like I did mention, going to Sydney, having everything planned for the airport is... It's a, uh, it's a bit stressful. Mm-hmm. I find it a bit stressful because mm-hmm. you never know how people are going to react to having, you know, things like over 100 mil in your carry-on mm. needles. Mm. It's a bit stressful, but... Mm. Yeah. Abby, if you can cast your mind back, um, did this condition affect you in primary school? Can you remember what, what it was like? I know it would have been normal for you because that was what your life was like. But does anything sort of jump out in your mind about what it was like at primary school with diabetes? Hmm. Primary school, I probably felt more segregated than what I did in high school mm-hmm. because it was a lot of time in high school, people didn't really even know that I had diabetes sometimes. But in primary school, because I was relying a lot on my teacher for help, yeah. like sometimes I'd have to go to um, the office during lunch to have an injection mm-hmm. or, you know, the, the teacher would prick my finger or my foot sometimes at, at at recess or lunch if I wasn't feeling well they'd Mm. help me I'd always have a box of lollies um there was one time when and I'll always remember it there was a kid that was handing out freddos and he said I couldn't have any because it had sugar in it Mm. and maybe I shouldn't have at the time it depends on what my level was but that sort of segregation was really hard as a Mm. as a a small child Yeah. yeah yeah um and you touched on secondary school Abby why do you think it was easier is that because you felt more in control yeah I guess I was more in control but it wasn't as openly out there not that there's anything wrong with got being out there with diabetes but it wasn't in everyone's faces that I was blatantly different Mm -hmm. I guess Mm -hmm. I could manage it myself a little bit more discreetly Mm -hmm. Mm. has care and treatment been of a high standard do you think in what way, sorry? Well, the care that you're getting and the doctors that you see and, and again, getting back to the internet, um, you obviously, you put, you're on Instagram, you maybe talk to other people who have type 1 diabetes. In comparison, do you think Australia is a good place to be, in your opinion, for healthcare and for, for access to good doctors or definitely. insulin? Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I've only just realised since connecting with other people on Instagram with diabetes, with type 1, um, who live in America who can't afford insulin. There's a lot of um, people with diabetes that are actually in hospital very sick and some dying because they can't afford they can't insulin afford because it. they don't have the same health care that we do. Yeah. Um, so very lucky to be in Australia and have it affordable whilst all the supplies and medical expenses are still expensive. Yeah. Um, it's much more affordable than some other countries in the world. So definitely lucky in that sense Mm. trying to find a doctor is not always easy it's hard to find someone that you actually gel with yeah you've just jumped into my next question Mm -hmm. how do you like going to the doctor not very much (laughs) (laughs) if I know my levels last time I went there when my levels have been well and I had felt like I'd been doing better I was a bit excited to actually get my results but it's laborious having to go to the doctor every three months. And you feel like you're going in, and... into the classroom and getting a wrap over the knuckles. If yeah, it's not sometimes good. you yeah. don't have a good doctor sometimes. <clears throat> yeah. But it's even also just the um, regular eye tests and everything else that goes along with it, you know, dental checks, mm. everything that you need to have done regularly. Mm. Have you had many different doctors over the years? Uh, I've had a couple. I have, since I finished with my 
um, child doctor. The pediatric yeah. doctor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My pediatric doctor. Yeah. Um, it was probably, I probably saw three or four different doctors until yeah. I found one that I just like. So it makes a difference when you go and maybe you feel connected to the doctor? Is that, yeah, I think yeah. it's a bit more understanding that it's not like it is on paper. Yeah. Life happens. and Yeah. So what happens when you don't like the doctor? Do you still go? Mm. Yes. Yes. I do. But it's not very enjoyable. Yeah. Do you know any celebrities with type 1 diabetes, Abby? Yeah, the first one that comes to mind is Halle Berry. Mm-hmm. She does. Mm-hmm. Is and she inspirational the, to you? Um, I don't really follow too much on the diabetes side. Mm-hmm. But, well, I, I actually don't even know if she technically does have type 1 because apparently she said that she has, I don't know how, I can't remember exactly, but she said that she had weaned herself off insulin, I'm pretty sure. Mm. So I, I don't know. I think it was actually people saying that she might have type 2. I couldn't tell yeah. you, but I know that Nick Jonas, yep. he does as well. Yeah, He's on an insulin pump last I heard too. So it's mm-hmm. it's pretty cool hearing about celebrities who can have such a... I, I guess an amazing um, life, maybe an amazing yeah. life, but also very busy. When I think about you know having to work diabetes through my life, and then thinking about you know if they're making a movie or something, which is so um, intense, intense, yeah. yeah, and takes up a lot of time, yeah, and there's a lot of money and resources involved in that one person mm. getting everything right. Mm. It, it makes me think about you know what if they have a hypo? Do they have to just stop everything? I mean, obviously yeah. they would, but yeah, yeah. So it's interesting to see how they incorporate that into their lives yeah do you have an idol abby not really no anyone who inspires you who has type one who has type one no no not really i think um well i've only really just started following more people on on social media with diabetes it's um i haven't really embraced it so much into my life as what mm-hmm. I have the maybe the past six months so mm-hmm. is I'm still learning is there any reason why you've started to follow people with type one I just saw them mm. on Instagram mm. I think one one popped up and I just thought hey it's pretty cool and it was it was really fun it was a it's a girl from Perth and she's my age and she's had diabetes since she was I think one mm-hmm. and she was actually I think she was a year younger so the state were diagnosed in the same year mm-hmm. and it was just pretty cool to see all the things that I do and go through in a day that she was also going through as well. So it's connection, isn't it? Yeah. You feel connected, yeah. And that inspired me to follow more people that she yeah. follows and, you know, people that follow her and it just... Yeah, yeah. and maybe you, you're perhaps even an inspiration to others if you post anything, hmm. I guess. Is there one thing that has been a real positive to help you through all of the challenges, Abby? My family. Yeah. My family has always been really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone looks out for me, makes sh- makes sure that, you know, I'm doing okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Abby, is there anything in particular with regard to your daily treatment and care, is there anything in particular that's been a real game changer for you? Yeah, so auto mode on my pump. Mm. So that's when I've got a sensor and my pump and my sensor talk to each other. And depending on what my level is, that determines the amount of insulin that I'm getting at a particular time. Rather than having set rates like the same ones every day, it's going to actually change dependent on what my level is. So it gives me much better control. So does the pump or the sensor make the decision for you? Is that what you're saying? Well, for, for a lot of the decisions, yes. 
Not all. There's still human intervention, but yeah. Okay, that's awesome. Abby, one final question for you. Is there anything that you'd like to say to somebody out there that might be listening today who is perhaps newly diagnosed with type 1 diabetes? Do you have any words of wisdom after your 20 plus years of experience with living with type 1? Um, it does get easier. Okay. It Even still now it can get overwhelming, especially when my levels are high for a long period of time or low or they just do whatever they want. Um, it can get quite overwhelming, but it does get easier. And I find, I've particularly found with um, Instagram, the more people that I've been following, the more I've been involving myself, even through social media, has really been helping to, um, I don't know, it's just been a bit inspiring to see how well other people are doing and it makes me want to do a little bit better for myself. So I guess to involve yourself as much as you can. And it's nice with my friends that have diabetes being able to talk about it with them where other people don't understand understand yeah so i guess just being as involved with other people as you can and do you feel less isolated abby as you as you can see that other people are going through the same deal as what you're going through yeah for sure yeah definitely that's good awesome thank you abby i really really appreciate this time oh, you're and, welcome um, good luck thank you thanks offering a free session to anybody who might be interested in taking up some life coaching for themselves you can email julie at nirvanacoaching.com.au or find me on instagram at nirvanacoaching uh, next week we're going to be listening to karen she has actually two children with type 1 diabetes so it's going to be awesome listening to the perspective of the mother so keep it real and thanks for listening. Bye. You're listening to Julie Levin, Keeping It Real with Nirvana Life Coaching, episode number five. I'm still offering free sessions during this period of isolation. Remember to email me for your free life coaching session, julie at nirvanacoaching.com.au. We can hook up via FaceTime or a regular phone call. Both work really well. You can also find me at Nirvana Coaching on Instagram. I'm potentially being heard anywhere in the world. If you don't know me, I'm located in Australia and our government has just put stage three in place whereby we can leave our homes for only four reasons during this COVID-19 pandemic. We can leave to buy our food or our essentials we can leave to go to the pharmacy or the doctor, although some doctors are establishing phone hookups to consult in safety. If you need to go to work and you can't work from home, then you can leave for that reason. Or finally, to exercise. We're permitted to walk around our block in numbers of two only. Our beaches are closed and we have a 1.5 metre rule encouraging us to keep our distance from one another. I have family and in that sense I'm quite fortunate. However, the isolated feeling was one of dread for me the other day. I say the other day as I can't recall which day. One day rolls into the next at the moment. I miss my friends, but I do talk several times a day uh, to different people. I've called a couple of friends today, but it's not quite the same as catching up. So I've been using the model today 
and self-coaching to get my head into a healthy place. If you're listening for the first time, you can go back to episode three and listen to the model. It's a self-coaching practice that works beautifully, a bit like meditation. You slowly bring your thoughts back into line and stop your mind from wandering into a la-la land of negativity. That tends to make us very anxious, myself included. Remember, a wandering mind that is unsupervised is like a two-year-old running around with a knife. Control your thoughts. It's the only thing to get us through these difficult days. I'll go over the model for self-coaching at the end of this episode. Some people understand easily, but it's better when learning something new to practice over and over until it's cemented in our brain. Then it becomes the norm. I went for a walk this morning in the sunshine and I was impressed with the activities of some very creative people in my neighbourhood. One house had painted their driveway in the colours of the rainbow. That was really pretty. I think I might share that on Instagram. I don't think I have already. I'm also amazed at how us humans manage to adapt to change, most of us anyway. Some of us are a bit slow to accept the need for temporary change in our lives. What does surprise me is how aware most people are of their surroundings. And I'm going to speak generally, but my experience is for several years now is that it's hard to get someone to move out of their way on the footpath for someone else as they usually are glued to their mobile phones and have no idea what's going on around them. I also believe I heard recently in the US that they were setting up what they call zombie pedestrian walks so people can walk and use their mobile phones and not risk being run over by a car. Why are things different now? Things are different now because we're in survival mode. The part of the brain that controls survival instincts is activated. Your modern brain or frontal cortex is responsible for problem solving, memory, language, judgment, impulse control and reasoning. And the primal brain or hind brain and medulla is responsible for survival, drive and instinct. When your primal brain is engaged, your modern brain is not working much. I'm guessing we're all using our primal brain and acting in a very hyper-vigilant manner. This would explain why someone on the radio the other day was saying how, how well he could hear and how much he heard, his, heard the birds whistling outside his bedroom window. Uh, there's probably two fronts working here as I think about it. His primal brain is most likely activated but he's not distracted by everyday life and that's perhaps the reason why he's hearing those beautiful birds sing in the morning. It's inspiring to listen to happy stories where people are helping each other. So look out for those on the TV and listen to some inspiring podcasts. Self-help podcasts are good. We all want the same thing. Not more money, not more time, not better health, but we all want to feel better. Sounds weird, doesn't it? But we believe if we have more money, we will feel better. If we had more time, we will feel better. If we have better health, we will feel better. We all want to feel better. When you realize your thoughts, you, when you sorry, when you realize your feelings are created by your thoughts and your thoughts come from circumstances, it's easy to feel better once you control your thoughts. Try to put happy thoughts in your mind, take a long walk. If your beach is open, even better if you're near a beach. 
go for some exercise and try to make yourself feel better. It really is that easy. Change your thoughts and change your world. Remember, circumstances create thoughts. Thoughts create feelings. Feelings create actions or inaction. Actions or inaction create results. You can actually also work the model backwards. That might be self-explanatory to some, but I'll go into that into the next podcast. Stay with me on this. It truly is a game changer once you get the hang of using the model. Due to COVID-19, I'm interviewing my guests via a recorded telephone call still. Please accept my apologies if the sound isn't brilliant, but it's the best I can do without meeting and interviewing face-to-face. I do have something exciting to tell. I'm using my fancy new microphone, which I was given as a birthday gift a couple of days ago. Let's hope uh, it sounds good at the end of this. Today I'm speaking with Shannon, who also has type 1 diabetes and celiac. Uh, I spoke with her mum last week, I think episode 4. Shannon has been kind enough to offer to speak candidly with me and shine a light on the daily grind of living with these two conditions. I'd like to thank Shannon, as I know this is going to be a very candid interview and perhaps tough at times for Shannon to talk about what she has been through in the last 14 years. A reminder that Shannon is sharing her own experiences and does not intend to offer any medical advice or opinions during her interview. If you would like to know more about anything we talk about on this podcast, mention it to your doctor or your healthcare professional. I'm also happy to explain things further on email if you need anything to be clarified a little bit. Over to you, Shannon, and welcome to Keeping It Real. Hi, Shannon. Good morning. How are you going? Good, thank you. How are you? Good, good. Can you hear me okay? I know we've had a lot of trouble getting connected today. <laughs> yes, I can hear you perfectly. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Shannon. Um, I'm going to launch straight into it. First of all, thank you so much for agreeing to the interview today. I appreciate this. It's really very kind of you. We spoke with your mum last week. I spoke with your mum last week and she gave me an insight um, to what living with diabetes life is like with her children. Um, so I thought it would be awesome to get your perspective. So for those who haven't heard my previous podcast, um, Shannon, how old are you now? 24? Uh, 23. 23. And when were you diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and celiac? So I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in August 2006, so just Mm -hmm. after I turned 10. And -hmm. then the celiac was about 12 months later, so about September 2007. Okay, so it wasn't actually at the same time? No, it was within the 12 months after the first Mm -hmm. diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And why? what happened with the celiac? Um. With the celiac, it was just more so I was getting a lot of pains in the stomach. Like yeah. I, I tended to eat a lot of um, carbohydrates like sandwiches yeah. and pasta and stuff like that. And um, All the comfort food change. Yeah. <laughs> and um, my mum decided like I should just go to the doctor and see what's going on. And they did some blood tests. I got a biopsy done. So they looked yep. at the lining in my stomach. And that's yep. when they told me that I was um, celiac. As well. So how much did that change for you as a 10-year-old or even 11-year-old? Um, it was very difficult because, like I said, I was someone that really enjoyed food. 
Like I yeah. would have like, oh, you know, like multiple sandwiches a day. I'd have got pasta. Yeah. I loved all of that. And yeah. on top of the diabetes where I'd already lost, like being able to eat lots of sweet stuff. Yeah. Um, it, it was really difficult. It was hard, especially when you're a kid and you don't exactly understand what's going on. What did you understand? Can you go back to that time and do you know what you did understand then if you could take yourself back? Um, I don't remember a whole lot just because I think it, it was a lot to take in. Um, really, the very basics of what I knew was just that I couldn't eat the stuff that I wanted to anymore just because yeah. I knew that it would make me feel sick. I didn't know any specifics, but it was just like, it's a no-go. You can't do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Do you recall if you knew anything about diabetes or celiac before? Like did any any of your friends at school have either either? Um, I don't think I knew about either. Like I might have heard about diabetes at like during health class or something like that. But Yeah, but probably didn't pay much attention, I guess. No, not really. Mm. Like it wasn't really anything that I thought that I needed to know. So mm -hmm. Yeah, of course, of course. And did it cause, did the, <clears throat> excuse me, did the diabetes diagnosis cause you to have a lot of sick days from school or not so much? Um, originally when I was diagnosed, I was in hospital for a while. I think it was about two weeks. Mm -hmm. um, apart from that, I can't really remember exactly. I'm sure that it would have just because we were still getting used to everything. Um, whenever we had to go to the hospital for checkups, I wouldn't yeah. be able to go to school. Yeah. But um, just because it's a lot of trial and error, like you do make mistakes and sometimes yeah. that would lead to being sick or, you know, needing more help with doctors. So more than yeah. likely it would have. Yeah. Did it impact on your friendships, Shan, or did your friends know about it? Did you share it or did you want to keep it quiet? Um, I Remember that? I think when it first happened, um, I was a bit more vocal about it um, because I was younger. The people in my class needed to know, my teachers needed to know if anything would happen. Like they needed, they wanted me to educate everyone yeah. just in case, you know, anything did happen. Yeah, so you had a big support group around you. Yeah, it was good. I mean, at that age, a lot of kids don't understand and there were yeah. people that wanted to separate themselves from it, which I, I completely get. What, just in case they might catch it? <laughs> yeah, you you and I, mean, I you know can't... you cannot catch diabetes yeah. from one else. Yeah. Yeah. But when there's 10 year olds, like they all they see is that you need to have needles and they, yeah. they don't get it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, can I ask you to share some of the daily decisions that you need to make to fit diabetes into your life? And I keep saying diabetes, but uh, we know by now it's type 1 diabetes. Yeah. So I'm just going to say diabetes, but yeah. we're always referring to type 1. Um, what are some of the decisions you have to make, Shan, that perhaps you wouldn't have to make if you didn't have diabetes? Yeah, well, it in a way, it kind of affects everything that you do. Like it affects what you can do during the day, like what you can eat. You've got to think about it in the sense of especially with giving yourself insulin, how it's going to impact the rest of your day, like making sure that you're eating the right things and that you're giving yourself enough insulin to combat that mm -hmm. um if you've got something planned like if, you, if you're playing sport or you might not be moving yeah. as much making so sure. if you have a sedentary day it makes a big difference yeah. yeah yeah exactly 
Shannon, how are you administering insulin these days? So I have an insulin pump. I've yep. been on my pump for, God, I don't even know how long now, a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it does make things a lot easier in terms of um, decisions that you have to make yep. daily. Have you stayed on the pump since you've had the pump or have you gone back to injections or? Um, when I was about 16, I went back on injections. For Can I ask why? Yeah, absolutely. So at that stage, I was having a lot of trouble accepting the diagnosis. Yeah. Just wanting this to be is, normal. This is um, four years or 16. So this is six years down the track. Yeah. And I was just, you know, wanting to feel normal and having that pump there, even though it made things easier, it was also making things a lot harder. I was having um, people at school who, I mean, I wouldn't call it bullying, but, you know, there were people that were saying things and it just, it made things a lot more difficult. So I thought if I could go onto the injections that it might make things a little bit easier. How did that work out for you? Um, not, it wasn't great. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> It was a lot harder trying to look after things because you don't have as much of a hold on it as what you do with the pump. With like, the pump. yeah. So even though I thought it would make things easier, it realistically didn't make things any better. But it was something that you had to try. And I guess when you're getting to 16, you do want to start to make your own decisions and, you know, good ones and bad ones. We all yeah. make them. Um, whether it was a good one or a bad one, it's not really a judgment. It's just, you know, maybe it didn't work out as well as you would have liked. But, well, you did what you felt you had to at the time, didn't you? Yeah, exactly. It's all trial and error. Mm. And, I mean, I don't regret doing it. It probably wasn't the smartest idea, but mm. I felt like it was something that I needed to try. But as a more mature adult, we're um, always more clever in hindsight, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Shannon, um, what happens if you eat gluten now? Do you have symptoms? So I am very fortunate in the fact that it takes a lot for me to get sick. When I say fortunate, sorry, fortunate, I just mean that um, like if I were to have something in my food yep. that did, have con did contain gluten, yep. I wouldn't get sick immediately like some people are. Yep. Um, mm. It takes a lot. Like if I ate maybe like two full loaves of bread, I'd mm. probably get stomach pains. Yeah. Um, but in hindsight to that, it also allows me to break the diet, which isn't ideal. Like I'm not the poster child for okay for, celiac disease. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right. And what about if you go into restaurants? And let's not really dwell on restaurants too much because none of us are going into restaurants at the moment with COVID-19. Um, I'd like to sidestep a bit, Shan, while we're talking about that. Um, what's changed in your household with your family with the virus and potential lockdown and social isolation and social distancing? What's, what's um, for you guys? Well, it's been really scary because not only am I immunocompromised, I also have a younger brother who's diabetic as well. Yeah, yeah. And he's compromised as well. Mm -hmm. So we are at risk of not getting sick easier but getting critically ill mm -hmm. so um with people panic buying a lot of things it's been very difficult for us to get insulin yeah um to get um the medical supplies that we need for our pumps yeah i was actually just reading a, an email um 
uh, about you know, diabetes by saying, you know, we have plenty of insulin, we have plenty of everything if people don't panic buy. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, restaurants, if you go to restaurants, what are they like when you say, I have celiac, can you give me a gluten-free menu, please? Are they accommodating or? Oh, so so many more places are accommodating to it now, like compared to what it was like when I was first diagnosed, nearly impossible to find anywhere that would serve gluten-free food. Yeah. Now it's so much more common because people are vegan and they're not yeah. eating gluten just because that's what they prefer rather than um that's what they have to do yeah yeah pretty much i'd say like half of the restaurants that you go to now would have a gluten-free menu or if you ask them they'd be able to accommodate it yeah okay that's awesome do you trust the restaurants to be as diligent as they can be or do you just have to hope for the best um i think it's kind of both like i used to work in a cafe and we had to be super diligent when we were handling um, people with celiac because we knew how sick that they would get. And a lot of people would explain like, look, if I have even the tiniest bit, I need to go to hospital. Like it's not good. So you have to make sure like, and do your best to make sure that you're okay because you're the one like really looking after this person's life. So you have to hope that other places would be the same. And I guess that would be more a directive from management anyway, wouldn't it? Sort of the stuff that they set up for, for their customers. Yeah, absolutely. Shan, I'm going to go back now to decisions. What happens if you just don't feel like making decisions about diabetes? What happens? It's, it can definitely impact what's going on in your life. I mean, it can be in small ways, like if you don't um, give yourself enough insulin or you don't dial up like that will lead to your blood going high and you getting sick Mm -hmm. if that's a continuous thing like it can be a lot worse Mm. um how sick have you been with it shannon i have had lots of instances where i've had to go into hospital i when i was 19 Mm -hmm. i was in icu Mm -hmm. Um, because I got really sick. I had what was called a DKA, so Mm. diabetic ketone acidosis, Mm. and I was in and out of hospital for three weeks. Mm. Why? Do you know why? Um, With the DKA, it Mm. can be a combination of a couple of things where it can be like if you're sick, if you're stressed, um, if your blood sugar levels aren't under control, a lot of times I've had a combination of things where I've been sick and then maybe I haven't been looking after myself as well as I should have or I've been super stressed. It's, yeah. it's very hard for them to pinpoint an exact reason, yeah. but a lot of times it can be a combination. But it's just something that you have to deal with immediately. Yeah, absolutely. Time. Yeah. Are there any lowlights or highlights that you'd like to share with listeners and anyone that's listening who is newly diagnosed, is there anything that you might like to offer as hope or words of wisdom yeah so highlights would definitely be um meeting all these people that i have through diabetes yeah making the friends that i have which i'm sure it would have been a lot more difficult to get through everything if we didn't have them Mm -hmm. Um, especially for my mum as well like they've offered her a lot of support when she needed it yeah um In terms of anyone that's newly diagnosed, I think it's important to remember that you don't have to get things perfect straight away. It's okay 
to make mistakes and not get things right, um, not be too hard on yourself because it is a journey. It's yeah. difficult it's journey. and it's okay to struggle with it. Yeah, and it, it is a journey and it is um, you're trying to mimic nature. And I guess that's probably what the most challenging thing is, trying to mimic nature. You're trying to do what nature does for us every day. Exactly. How tough has it been, Shannon? Um, it definitely hasn't been easy, but I don't want to sound like cliche, but it has gotten easier over the years. Mm-hmm. I've found especially when you have other people around who know what you're going through, mm-hmm. like I've got my brother especially. Mm-hmm. Um, Are you a been- good support to him? Does he lean on you or not? Um, he's been very independent with it, yep. I think, because when he was diagnosed, I'd been diabetic for a couple of years and mm-hmm. his, his was more of an easy transition because he didn't spend high, time in hospital. They just kind of picked it up and they're like, okay, well, we're just going to do this. Yeah. yeah. But I feel like he's had a bit of an easier time with it, but mm-hmm. he knows that, you know, he's got the support that we need. If there's anything going on, he can tell me what's happening because I completely understand. And you laid the foundations for him and opened the pathway for him, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So is there anything else that you'd like to add, Shan, for anyone that's listening? But just sorry, before I go into that, are you using social media as a support? Um, in a sense, not really. I think I've been trying to be more open on my social media about um having diabetes Mm. like there was a time where I didn't really want to talk about it because I didn't want people to really pinpoint me as just like the diabetic Mm -hmm. um but I'm trying to be more open about it so if there are people who do need support or they want to talk especially at the moment when there's so much uncertainty in the world and we're kind of scared about what's going to happen um just to know that, you know, they're not alone. There's someone else here that yeah. no, not only has to worry about that stuff but has, you know, um, like a chronic illness to worry about as well. Yeah. Good advice. Shen, do you have any plans for the immediate future or long-term future? Um, not really at this stage just because things are so uncertain. Mm-hmm. I'm just hoping that um, as long as we all do the best that we can yeah. to exactly, make, yeah, that we'll get through this and then we can go from there. And start living again. Shannon, um, how different, um, this is very hypothetical, how different do you think your life would be or would it be different if you didn't have diabetes? Has it restricted you? I know there would be some restrictions. That might sound like a silly question, but looking at the big picture, how different do you think your life might be, might have been? I think... In a way, it would probably be completely different just because for a long time I kind of made diabetes my identity. Like I thought, you know, that's just me. That's me and focused everything on it or then didn't want anything based on it and kind of tried to remove it from my life, if that makes sense. Like a lot of decisions have been based around having it. Yeah. So it would probably be completely different. I mean, even in the sense of dating, I've had a lot of people who um, would be very comfortable with it and Mm -hmm. they'd ask questions or other people who didn't want a bar of it, like they did not want to know. And they would actually like stop speaking to me because they didn't want to 
think that they had to care about me. Yeah, and it's and it's very kind of them to be honest and upfront in the beginning, isn't (laughs) it? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it's not anyone else's, um, you know, no one else has to look after me. They shouldn't have to think that they have to. But even in the sense of that, like thinking about like who I could date or who I wouldn't date or where I would be or anything like that, it's just... It's hard to imagine what it would be like, but it's yeah. also interesting to think of what it could be like. But at as the well. end of the day, your name is Shannon, and you have type one diabetes. And exactly. It's not like you are a diabetic all the time. You're Shannon. Yeah. 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 All right, Shannon. Do you want to add anything else before we finish up? Um, I just hope that um everyone stays safe, and mm-hmm. uh, thank you so much for listening to me and. Yeah, I'm just hoping the best for everyone. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Shannon. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye. Don't forget, if you want to contact me, you can do so. You can email me, julie at nirvanacoaching.com.au or you can find me on Instagram, nirvanacoaching, N-I-R-V-A-N-A, coaching, one word. Um, I'm more than happy to spend some time on the telephone with anyone who's feeling like they need a little bit of coaching. I'm more than happy to do that right now during these really awful days. So thank you for listening and until next time, keep it real. You're listening to Julie Levin, Keeping It Real with Nirvana Life Coaching, episode number five. I'm still offering free sessions during this period of isolation. Remember to email me for your free life coaching session, julie at nirvanacoaching.com.au. We can hook up via FaceTime or a regular phone call. Both work really well. You can also find me at Nirvana Coaching on Instagram. I'm potentially being heard anywhere in the world. If you don't know me, I'm located in Australia and our government has just put stage three in place whereby we can leave our homes for only four reasons during this COVID-19 pandemic. We can leave to buy our food or our essentials. We can leave to go to the pharmacy or the doctor, although some doctors are establishing phone hookups to consult in safety. If you need to go to work and you can't work from home, then you can leave for that reason. Or finally, to exercise. We're permitted to walk around our block in numbers of two only. Our beaches are closed and we have a 1.5 metre rule, encouraging us to keep our distance from one another. I have family and in that sense I'm quite fortunate. However, the isolated feeling was one of dread for me the other day. I say the other day as I can't recall which day. One day rolls into the next at the moment. I miss my friends, but I do talk several times a day uh, to different people. I've called a couple of friends today, but it's not quite the same as catching up. So I've been using the model today and self-coaching to get my head into a healthy place. If you're listening for the first time, you can go back to episode three and listen to the model. It's a self-coaching practice that works beautifully, a bit like meditation. You slowly bring your thoughts back into line and stop your mind from wandering into a la-la land of negativity. That tends to make us very anxious, myself included. Remember, a wandering mind that is unsupervised is like a two-year-old running around with a knife. 
Control your thoughts. It's the only thing to get us through these difficult days. I'll go over the model for self-coaching at the end of this episode. Some people understand easily, but it's better when learning something new to practice over and over until it's cemented in our brain. Then it becomes the norm. I went for a walk this morning in the sunshine and I was impressed with the activities of some very creative people in my neighbourhood. One house had painted their driveway in the colours of the rainbow. That was really pretty. I think I might share that on Instagram. I don't think I have already. I'm also amazed at how us humans manage to adapt to change, most of us anyway. Some of us are a bit slow to accept the need for temporary change in our lives. What does surprise me is how aware most people are of their surroundings. And I'm going to speak generally, but my experience is for several years now is that it's hard to get someone to move out of their way on the footpath for someone else as they usually are glued to their mobile phones and have no idea what's going on around them. I also believe I heard recently in the US that they were setting up what they call zombie pedestrian walks so people can walk and use their mobile phones and not risk being run over by a car. Why are things different now? Things are different now because we're in survival mode. The part of the brain that controls survival instincts is activated. Your modern brain or frontal cortex is responsible for problem solving memory, language, judgment, impulse control and reasoning. And the primal brain or hind brain and medulla is responsible for survival, drive and instinct. When your primal brain is engaged, your modern brain is not working much. I'm guessing we're all using our primal brain and acting in a very hypervigilant manner. This would explain why someone on the radio the other day was saying how, how well he could hear and how much he heard, his, heard the birds whistling outside his bedroom window. Uh, there's probably two fronts working here as I think about it. His primal brain is most likely activated but he's not distracted by everyday life and that's perhaps the reason why he's hearing those beautiful birds sing in the morning. It's inspiring to listen to happy stories where people are helping each other. So look out for those on the TV and listen to some inspiring podcasts. Self-help podcasts are good. We all want the same thing. Not more money, not more time, not better health, but we all want to feel better. Sounds weird, doesn't it? But we believe if we have more money, we will feel better. If we had more time, we will feel better. If we have better health, we will feel better. We all want to feel better. When you realize your thoughts, when you, sorry, when you realize your feelings are created by your thoughts and your thoughts come from circumstances, it's easy to feel better once you control your thoughts. Try to put happy thoughts in your mind. Take a long walk. If your beach is open, even better if you're near a beach. Go for some exercise and try to make yourself feel better. It really is that easy. Change your thoughts and change your world. Remember, circumstances create thoughts. Thoughts create feelings. Feelings create actions or inaction. Actions or inaction create results. You can actually also work the model backwards. That might be self-explanatory to some, but I'll go into that into the next podcast. Stay with me on this. It truly is a game changer once you get the hang of using the model.
Due to COVID-19, I'm interviewing my guests via a recorded telephone call still. Please accept my apologies if the sound isn't brilliant, but it's the best I can do without meeting and interviewing face-to-face. I do have something exciting to tell. I'm using my fancy new microphone, which I was given as a birthday gift a couple of days ago. Let's hope uh, it sounds good at the end of this. Today I'm speaking with Shannon, who also has type 1 diabetes and celiac. Uh, I spoke with her mum last week, I think episode 4. Shannon has been kind enough to offer to speak candidly with me and shine a light on the daily grind of living with these two conditions. I'd like to thank Shannon, as I know this is going to be a very candid interview and perhaps tough at times for Shannon to talk about what she has been through in the last 14 years. A reminder that Shannon is sharing her own experiences and does not intend to offer any medical advice or opinions during her interview. If you would like to know more about anything we talk about on this podcast, mention it to your doctor or your healthcare professional. I'm also happy to explain things further on email if you need anything to be clarified a little bit. Over to you, Shannon, and welcome to Keeping It Real. You're listening to Julie Levin, Keeping It Real with Nirvana Life Coaching, episode number five. I'm still offering free sessions during this period of isolation. Remember to email me for your free life coaching session, julie at nirvanacoaching.com.au. We can hook up via FaceTime or a regular phone call. Both work really well. You can also find me at Nirvana Coaching on Instagram. I'm potentially being heard anywhere in the world. If you don't know me, I'm located in Australia and our government has just put stage three in place whereby we can leave our homes for only four reasons during this COVID-19 pandemic. We can leave to buy our food or our essentials. We can leave to go to the pharmacy or the doctor, although some doctors are establishing phone hookups to consult in safety. If you need to go to work and you can't work from home, then you can leave for that reason. Or finally, to exercise. We're permitted to walk around our block in numbers of two only. Our beaches are closed and we have a 1.5 metre rule encouraging us to keep our distance from one another. I have family and in that sense I'm quite fortunate. However, the isolated feeling was one of dread for me the other day. I say the other day as I can't recall which day. One day rolls into the next at the moment. I miss my friends but I do talk several times a day uh, to different people. I've called a couple of friends today but it's not quite the same as catching up. So I've been using the model today and self-coaching to get my head into a healthy place. If you're listening for the first time, you can go back to episode three and listen to the model. It's a self-coaching practice that works beautifully, a bit like meditation. You slowly bring your thoughts back into line and stop your mind from wandering into a la-la land of negativity. That tends to make us very anxious, myself included. Remember, a wandering mind that is unsupervised is like a two-year-old running around with a knife. Control your thoughts. It's the only thing to get us through these difficult days. I'll go over the model for self-coaching at the end of this episode. Some people understand easily, but it's better when learning something new to practice over and over until it's cemented in our brain. 
then it becomes the norm. I went for a walk this morning in the sunshine and I was impressed with the activities of some very creative people in my neighbourhood. One house had painted their driveway in the colours of the rainbow. That was really pretty. I think I might share that on Instagram. I don't think I have already. I'm also amazed at how us humans manage to adapt to change, most of us anyway. Some of us are a bit slow to accept the need for temporary change in our lives. What does surprise me is how aware most people are of their surroundings. And I'm going to speak generally, but my experience is for several years now is that it's hard to get someone to move out of their way on the footpath for someone else as they usually are glued to their mobile phones and have no idea what's going on around them. I also believe I heard recently in the US that they were setting up what they call zombie pedestrian walks so people can walk and use their mobile phones and not risk being run over by a car. Why are things different now? Things are different now because we're in survival mode. The part of the brain that controls survival instincts is activated. Your modern brain or frontal cortex is responsible for problem solving, memory, language, judgment, impulse control and reasoning. And the primal brain or hind brain and medulla is responsible for survival, drive and instinct. When your primal brain is engaged, your modern brain is not working much. I'm guessing we're all using our primal brain and acting in a very hypervigilant manner. This would explain why someone on the radio the other day was saying how, how well he could hear and how much he heard his heard the birds whistling outside his bedroom window. Uh, there's probably two fronts working here as I think about it. His primal brain is most likely activated but he's not distracted by everyday life and that's perhaps the reason why he's hearing those beautiful birds sing in the morning. It's inspiring to listen to happy stories where people are helping each other so look out for those on the tv and listen to some inspiring podcasts self-help podcasts are good we all want the same thing not more money not more time not better health but we all want to feel better sounds weird doesn't it but we believe if we have more money we will feel better if we had more time we will feel better if we have better health we will feel better. We all want to feel better. When you realize your thoughts, when you, sorry, when you realize your feelings are created by your thoughts and your thoughts come from circumstances, it's easy to feel better once you control your thoughts. Try to put happy thoughts in your mind. Take a long walk. If your beach is open, even better if you're near a beach. Go for some exercise and try to make yourself feel better. It really is that easy. Change your thoughts and change your world. Remember, circumstances create thoughts. Thoughts create feelings. Feelings create actions or inaction. Actions or inaction create results. You can actually also work the model backwards. That might be self-explanatory to some, but I'll go into that into the next podcast. Stay with me on this. It truly is a game changer once you get the hang of using the model. Due to COVID-19, I'm interviewing my guests via a recorded telephone call still. Please accept my apologies if the sound isn't brilliant, but it's the best I can do without meeting and interviewing face-to-face. I do have something exciting to tell. I'm using 
my fancy new microphone, which I was given as a birthday gift a couple of days ago. Let's hope uh, it sounds good at the end of this. Today I'm speaking with Shannon, who also has type 1 diabetes and celiac. Uh, I spoke with her mum last week, I think episode 4. Shannon has been kind enough to offer to speak candidly with me and shine a light on the daily grind of living with these two conditions. I'd like to thank Shannon, as I know this is going to be a very candid interview and perhaps tough at times for Shannon to talk about what she has been through in the last 14 years. A reminder that Shannon is sharing her own experiences and does not intend to offer any medical advice or opinions during her interview. If you would like to know more about anything we talk about on this podcast, mention it to your doctor or your healthcare professional. I'm also happy to explain things further on email if you need anything to be clarified a little bit. Over to you, Shannon, and welcome to Keeping It Real. Don't forget, if you want to contact me, you can do so. You can email me, julie at nirvanacoaching.com.au or you can find me on Instagram, nirvanacoaching, N-I-R-V-A-N-A, coaching, one word. Um, I'm more than happy to spend some time on the telephone with anyone who's feeling like they need a little bit of coaching. I'm more than happy to do that right now during these really awful days. So thank you for listening and until next time, keep it real. You're listening to Julie Levin, Keeping It Real with Nirvana Life Coaching, episode number five. I'm still offering free sessions during this period of isolation. Remember to email me for your free life coaching session, julie at nirvanacoaching.com.au. We can hook up via FaceTime or a regular phone call. Both work really well. You can also find me at Nirvana Coaching on Instagram. I'm potentially being heard anywhere in the world. If you don't know me, I'm located in Australia and our government has just put stage three in place whereby we can leave our homes for only four reasons during this COVID-19 pandemic. We can leave to buy our food or our essentials. We can leave to go to the pharmacy or the doctor, although some doctors are establishing phone hookups to consult in safety. If you need to go to work and you can't work from home, then you can leave for that reason or finally to exercise. We're permitted to walk around our block in numbers of two only. Our beaches are closed and we have a 1.5 metre rule encouraging us to keep our distance from one another. I have family and in that sense I'm quite fortunate. However, the isolated feeling was one of dread for me the other day. I say the other day as I can't recall which day. One day rolls into the next at the moment. I miss my friends, but I do talk several times a day uh, to different people. I've called a couple of friends today, but it's not quite the same as catching up. So I've been using the model today and self-coaching to get my head into a healthy place. If you're listening for the first time, you can go back to episode three and listen to the model. It's a self-coaching practice that works beautifully, a bit like meditation. You slowly bring your thoughts back into line and stop your mind from wandering into a la-la land of negativity. That tends to make us very anxious, myself included. 
Remember, a wandering mind that is unsupervised is like a two-year-old running around with a knife. Control your thoughts. It's the only thing to get us through these difficult days. I'll go over the model for self-coaching at the end of this episode. Some people understand easily, but it's better when learning something new to practice over and over until it's cemented in our brain. Then it becomes the norm. I went for a walk this morning in the sunshine and I was impressed with the activities of some very creative people in my neighbourhood. One house had painted their driveway in the colours of the rainbow. That was really pretty. I think I might share that on Instagram. I don't think I have already. I'm also amazed at how us humans manage to adapt to change, most of us anyway. Some of us are a bit slow to accept the need for temporary change in our lives. What does surprise me is how aware most people are of their surroundings. And I'm going to speak generally, but my experience is for several years now is that it's hard to get someone to move out of their way on the footpath for someone else as they usually are glued to their mobile phones and have no idea what's going on around them. I also believe I heard recently in the US that they were setting up what they call zombie pedestrian walks so people can walk and use their mobile phones and not risk being run over by a car. Why are things different now? Things are different now because we're in survival mode. The part of the brain that controls survival instincts is activated. Your modern brain or frontal cortex is responsible for problem solving, memory, language, judgment, impulse control and reasoning. And the primal brain or hind brain and medulla is responsible for survival, drive and instinct. When your primal brain is engaged, your modern brain is not working much. I'm guessing we're all using our primal brain and acting in a very hypervigilant manner. This would explain why someone on the radio the other day was saying how, how well he could hear and how much he heard, his, heard the birds whistling outside his bedroom window. Uh, there's probably two fronts working here as I think about it. His primal brain is most likely activated but he's not distracted by everyday life and that's perhaps the reason why he's hearing those beautiful birds sing in the morning. It's inspiring to listen to happy stories where people are helping each other so look out for those on the tv and listen to some inspiring podcasts self-help podcasts are good we all want the same thing not more money not more time not better health but we all want to feel better sounds weird doesn't it but we believe if we have more money we will feel better if we had more time we will feel better if we have better health we will feel better. We all want to feel better. When you realize your thoughts, you, when you sorry, when you realize your feelings are created by your thoughts and your thoughts come from circumstances, it's easy to feel better once you control your thoughts. Try to put happy thoughts in your mind. Take a long walk. If your beach is open, even better. If you're near a beach, go for some exercise and try to make yourself feel better. It really is that easy. Change your thoughts and change your world. Remember, circumstances create thoughts. Thoughts create feelings. Feelings create actions or inaction. Actions or inaction create results. You can actually also work the model backwards. 
that might be self-explanatory to some, but I'll go into that into the next podcast. Stay with me on this. It truly is a game changer once you get the hang of using the model. Due to COVID-19, I'm interviewing my guests via a recorded telephone call still. Please accept my apologies if the sound isn't brilliant, but it's the best I can do without meeting and interviewing face-to-face. I do have something exciting to tell. I'm using my fancy new microphone, which I was given as a birthday gift a couple of days ago. Let's hope uh, it sounds good at the end of this. Today I'm speaking with Shannon, who also has type 1 diabetes and celiac. Uh, I spoke with her mum last week, I think episode 4. Shannon has been kind enough to offer to speak candidly with me and shine a light on the daily grind of living with these two conditions. I'd like to thank Shannon, as I know this is going to be a very candid interview and perhaps tough at times for Shannon to talk about what she has been through in the last 14 years. A reminder that Shannon is sharing her own experiences and does not intend to offer any medical advice or opinions during her interview. If you would like to know more about anything we talk about on this podcast, mention it to your doctor or your healthcare professional. I'm also happy to explain things further on email if you need anything to be clarified a little bit. Over to you, Shannon, and welcome to Keeping It Real. Hi, Shannon. Good morning. How are you going? Good, thank you. How are you? Good, good. Can you hear me okay? I know we've had a lot of trouble getting connected today. <laughs> yes, All I good? can hear you perfectly. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Shannon. Um, I'm going to launch straight into it. First of all, thank you so much for agreeing to the interview today. I appreciate this it's really very kind of you we spoke with your mum last week I spoke with your mum last week and she gave me an insight um, to what living with diabetes like is like with her children Um, so I thought it would be awesome to get your perspective so for those who haven't heard my previous podcast Shannon how old are you now 24 uh 23 23, and when were you diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and celiac? So I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in August 2006, so just Mm -hmm. after I turned 10. And -hmm. then the celiac was about 12 months later, so about September 2007. Okay, so it wasn't actually at the same time? No, it was within the 12 months after the first Mm -hmm. diagnosis. Mm Mm-hmm. And why, what happened with the celiac? Um, With the celiac, it was just more so I was getting a lot of pains in the stomach. I I tended to eat a lot of um, carbohydrates like sandwiches and pasta and stuff like that. And um, all the comfort food change. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And um, my mum decided like I should just go to the doctor and see what's going on. And they did some blood tests. I got a biopsy done. So they looked at the lining in my stomach and that's when they told me that I was um, celiac. As well. So how much did that change for you as a 10-year-old or even 11-year-old? It was very difficult because, like I said, I was someone that really enjoyed food. Like I would have like, oh, you know, like multiple sandwiches a day. I'd got pasta. I loved all of that. And on top of the diabetes where I'd already lost, like being able to eat lots of sweet stuff. Yeah. um, It it was really difficult. It was hard, especially when you're a kid and you don't exactly understand what's going on. 
what did you understand? Can you go back to that time and do you know what you did understand then if you could take yourself back? Um, I don't remember a whole lot just because I think it, it was a lot to take in. Um, really the very basics of what I knew was just that I couldn't eat the stuff that I wanted to anymore just because yeah. I knew that it would make me feel sick. I didn't know any specifics, but it was just like, it's a no-go. You can't do that anymore. Yeah. Do you recall if you knew anything about diabetes or celiac before? Like did any any of your friends at school have either? either? Um, I don't think I knew about either. Like I might have heard about diabetes at, like during health class or something like that. But Yeah, but probably didn't pay much attention, I guess. No, not really. Mm. Like it wasn't really anything that I thought that I needed to know. So... <laughs> Yeah, of course, of course. And did it cause, did the, <clears throat> excuse me, did the diabetes diagnosis cause you to have a lot of sick days from school or not so much? Um, Originally when I was diagnosed, I was in hospital for a while. I think it was about two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, apart from that, I can't really remember exactly. I'm sure that it would have just because we were still getting used to everything um whenever we had to go to the hospital for checkups I wouldn't be able to go to school but um just because it's a lot of trial and error like you do make mistakes and sometimes that would lead to being sick or you know needing more help with doctors so more than likely it would have yeah did it impact on your friendships Shan or did your friends know about it did you share it or did you want to keep it quiet um I remember that I I think when it first happened, um, I was a bit more vocal about it um, because I was younger. The people in my class needed to know, my teachers needed to know if anything would happen. Like they needed, they wanted me to educate everyone just in case, you know, anything did happen. Yeah, so you had a big support group around you. Yeah, it was good. I mean, at that age, a lot of kids don't understand and there were people that wanted to separate themselves from it, which I I completely get. What, just in case they might catch it? <laughs> yeah. You, you and I, mean, I you know can't... you cannot catch diabetes yes. <laughs> from one else. Yeah. Yeah. But when there's 10-year-olds, like, they all they see is that you need to have needles and they, yeah. they don't get it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, can I ask you to share some of the daily decisions that you need to make to fit diabetes into your life? And I keep saying diabetes, but we know by now it's type 1 diabetes. So I'm just going to say diabetes, but we're always referring to type 1. What are some of the decisions you have to make, Shan, that perhaps you wouldn't have to make if you didn't have diabetes? Yeah, well, in a way it kind of affects everything that you do. Like it affects what you can do during the day, like what you can eat. You've got to think about it in the sense of especially – with giving yourself insulin, how it's going to impact the rest of your day, like making sure that you're eating the right things and that you're giving yourself enough insulin to combat that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've got something planned, like if, you, if you're playing sport or you might not be moving yeah. as much. making So sure. if you have a sedentary day, it makes a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Shannon, how are you administering insulin these days? So I have an insulin pump. I've yep. been on my pump for... God, I don't even know how long now, a while. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And it does make things a lot easier in terms of um, decisions that you have to make daily. Have you stayed on the pump since you've had the pump or have you gone back to injections or? 
Um, when I was about 16, I went back on injections for Can I ask why? Yeah, absolutely. So at that stage, I was having a lot of trouble accepting the diagnosis. Yeah. You know, just wanting this to be is, normal. This is um, four years or oh, 16. So this is six years down the track. Yeah. And I was just, you know, wanting to feel normal and having that pump there, even though it made things easier. It was also making things a lot harder. I was having um, people at school who, I mean, I wouldn't call it bullying, but, you know, there were people that were saying things and it just, it made things a lot more difficult. So I thought if I could go onto the injections that it might make things a little bit easier. How did that work out for you? Um, not, it wasn't great. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was a lot harder trying to look after things because you don't have as much of a hold on it as what you do with the pump like yeah so even though I thought it would make things easier it realistically didn't make things any better but it was something that you had to try and I guess when you're getting to 16 you do want to start to make your own decisions and you know good ones and bad ones we all make them um, whether it was a good one or a bad one, it's not really a judgment. It's just, you know, maybe it didn't work out as well as you would have liked. But, well, you did what you felt you had to at the time, didn't you? Yeah, exactly. It's all trial and error. Mm. And, I mean, I don't regret doing it. It probably wasn't the smartest idea, but mm. I felt like it was something that I needed to try. But as a more mature adult, we're um, always more clever in hindsight, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Shannon, um, what happens if you eat gluten now? Do you have symptoms? So I am very fortunate in the fact that it takes a lot for me to get sick. When I say fortunate, sorry, fortunate, I just mean that um, like if I were to have something in my food yep. that did, have con- did contain gluten, yep. I wouldn't get sick immediately like some people are. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a lot. Like if I ate maybe like two full loaves of bread, I'd mm-hmm. probably get stomach pains. Yeah. Um, but in hindsight to that, it also allows me to break the diet, which isn't ideal. Like I'm not the poster child for okay for, celiac disease. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right. And what about if you go into restaurants? And let's not really dwell on restaurants too much because none of us are going into restaurants at the moment with COVID-19. Um, I'd like to sidestep a bit, Shan, while we're talking about that. Um, what's changed in your household with your family with the virus and potential lockdown and social isolation and social distancing? What's what's Um, for you guys? Well, it's been really scary because not only am I immunocompromised, I also have a younger brother who's diabetic as well. Yeah. yeah. And he's compromised as well. Mm -hmm. So we are at risk of not getting sick easier but getting critically ill mm-hmm. so um with people panic buying a lot of things it's been very difficult for us to get insulin yeah um to get um the medical supplies that we need for our pumps yeah i was actually just reading a, an email um uh, about you know diabetes by saying you know we have plenty of insulin we have plenty of everything if people don't panic buy yeah yeah so uh restaurants if you go to restaurants what are they like when you say i have celiac can you give me a gluten-free menu please are they accommodating or oh so so many more places uh accommodating to it now like compared to what it was like when i was first diagnosed 
nearly impossible to find anywhere that would serve gluten-free food. Yeah. Now it's so much more common because people are vegan and they're not yeah. eating gluten just because that's what they prefer rather than um, that's what they have to do. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much I'd say like half of the restaurants that you go to now would have a gluten-free menu or if you ask them they'd be able to accommodate it yeah okay that's awesome do you trust the restaurants to be as diligent as they can be or do you just have to hope for the best um I think it's kind of both like I used to work in a cafe and we had to be super diligent yeah when we were handling um people with celiac because we knew how sick that they would get and a lot of people would explain like look if I have even the tiniest bit, I need to go to hospital. Like it's not good. So you have yeah. to make sure like, and do your best to make sure that you're okay because you're the one like really looking after this person's life. So you have to hope that other yeah. places would be the same. And I guess that would be more a directive from management anyway, wouldn't it? Sort of the stuff that they set up for, for their customers. Yeah, absolutely. Shan, I'm going to go back now to decisions. What happens if you just don't feel like making decisions? about diabetes what happens it's it can definitely impact what's going on in your life I mean it can be in small ways like if you don't um, give yourself enough insulin or you don't dial up like that will lead to your blood going high and you getting sick Mm -hmm. if that's a continuous thing like it can be a lot worse Mm. Um, how sick have you been with it Shannon I have had lots of instances where I've had to go into hospital. I, when I was 19, mm-hmm. I was in ICU mm-hmm. um, because I got really sick. I had what was called a DKA, so mm-hmm. diabetic ketone acidosis. Mm-hmm. And I was in and out of hospital for three weeks. Mm-hmm. Why? Do you know why? Um, with... The DKA, it can be a combination of a couple of things where it can be like if you're sick, if you're stressed, um, if your blood sugar levels aren't under control. Um, A lot of times I've had a combination of things where I've been sick and then maybe I haven't been looking after myself as well as I should have or I've been super stressed. It's it's very hard for them to pinpoint an exact reason, but a lot of times it can be a combination. But it's just something that you have to deal with immediately. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Are there any lowlights or highlights that you'd like to share with listeners and anyone that's listening who is newly diagnosed, is there anything that you might like to offer as hope or words of wisdom? Yeah, so highlights would definitely be um, meeting all these people that I have through diabetes, making the friends that I have, which I'm sure it would have been a lot more difficult to get through everything if we didn't have them Mm -hmm. Um, especially for my mum as well like they've offered her a lot of support when she needed it yeah um in terms of anyone that's newly diagnosed I think it's important to remember that you don't have to get things perfect straight away it's okay to make mistakes and not get things right um not be too hard on yourself because it is a journey it's difficult and it's okay to struggle with it yeah and it, it is a journey and it is um, you're trying to mimic nature. Yeah. And I guess that's probably what the most challenging thing is, trying to mimic nature. You're trying to do what nature does for us every day. 
exactly. How tough has it been, Shannon? Um, it definitely hasn't been easy, but I don't want to sound like cliche, but it has gotten easier over the years. Mm-hmm. I've found, especially when you have other people around who know what you're going through. Mm-hmm. Like I've got my brother, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, Are you a good support to him? Does he lean on you or not? Um, he's been very independent with it. Yep. I think because when he was diagnosed, I'd been diabetic for a couple of years and mm-hmm. his his was more of an easy transition because he didn't spend high, time in hospital. They just kind of picked it up and they're like, okay, well, we're just going to do this. Yeah. yeah. But I feel like he's had a bit of an easier time with it, but mm-hmm. he knows that, you know, he's got the support that we need. If there's anything going on, he can tell me what's happening because I completely understand. And you laid the foundations for him and opened the pathway for him, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So is there anything else that you'd like to add, Shan, for anyone that's listening? But just sorry, before I go into that, are you using social media as a support? Um, in a sense, not really. I think I've been trying to be more open on my social media about um, having diabetes. Mm. Like there was a time where I didn't really want to talk about it because I didn't want people to really pinpoint me as just like the diabetic Mm -hmm. um but I'm trying to be more open about it so if there are people who do need support or they want to talk especially at the moment when there's so much uncertainty in the world and we're kind of scared about what's going to happen um just to know that you know, they're not alone. There's someone else here that yeah. not, not only has to worry about that stuff but has, you know, um, like a chronic illness to worry about as well. Yeah. Good advice. Shen, do you have any plans for the immediate future or long-term future? Um, not really at this stage just because things are so uncertain. Mm-hmm. I'm just hoping that um, as long as we all do the best that we can yeah. to exactly, make, yeah, that we'll get through this and then we can go from there. And start living again. Yeah. And um, how different, um, this is very hypothetical, how different do you think your life would be or would it be different if you didn't have diabetes? Has it restricted you? I know there would be some restrictions. That might sound like a silly question, but looking at the big picture, how different do you think your life might be, might have been? I think... In a way, it would probably be completely different just because for a long time I kind of made diabetes my identity. Like I thought, you know, that's just me. That's me and focused everything on it or then didn't want anything based on it and kind of tried to remove it from my life, if that makes sense. Like a lot of decisions have been based around having it. Yeah. So it would probably be completely different. I mean, even in the sense of dating, I've had a lot of people who um, would be very comfortable with it and Mm -hmm. they'd ask questions or other people who didn't want a bar of it, like they did not want to know. And they would actually like stop speaking to me because they didn't want to think that they had to care about me. Yeah, and it's it's very kind of them to be honest and upfront (laughs) in the beginning, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it's not anyone else's... um, you know, no one else has to look after me. They shouldn't have to think that they yeah, have to. Exactly. But even in the sense of that, like thinking about like who I could date or yeah. who I wouldn't date yeah. or where I would be or anything like that, it's just, 
it's hard to imagine what it would be like, but it's yeah. also interesting to think of what it could be like. But at as the well. end of the day, your name is Shannon and you have type 1 diabetes. And exactly. It's not like you are a diabetic all the time, you're Shannon. Yeah. 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 Right, Shannon, do you want to add anything else before we finish up? Um, I just hope that. Um, everyone stay safe and mm-hmm. uh, thank you so much for listening to me and yeah I'm just hoping the best for everyone fantastic thanks so much Shannon thank you for having me bye bye don't forget if you want to contact me you can do so you can email me julie at nirvanacoaching.com.au or you can find me on instagram nirvanacoaching n-i-r-v-a-n-a coaching one word Um, i'm more than happy to spend some time on the telephone with anyone who's feeling like they need a little bit of coaching Um, more than happy to do that right now during these really awful days so thank you for listening and until next time keep it real